Well, today I'm going to finish this series that we have been on uh, called Distortion. Some of you are probably so excited for me to hurry up and finish this series. Probably because you're tired of looking at that picture, if I had to guess. Um, but we're going to wrap it up today, and um, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's been hard. It's, it's hard for me uh, to get it all fit, it, fit in and uh, finish today, but we're going to do so. We're going we're gonna to bring uh, this, this series to a close. You know, the world... Um, one of the funny things, I'm an observer of the world around me, and, and one of the things that I've observed over uh, the last several years is how popular uh, this sort of word or this concept of being triggered has become. How many of you, like 10 years ago, you never heard anybody say, oh, that triggered me, but now you hear it all the time? Like some of you are only maybe 10 or 11, 12 years old. You don't have a memory of this? Or there are those of us who were full on into adulthood 10 years ago and we, like nobody said that. No one walked around, oh, that triggered me. No one said that 10 years ago. Like no one, no one posted trigger warnings before, uh, don't read this. Have you ever like been online and like before an article or before a post, trigger warning, what does that mean, right? Don't read this. You might, some of you are getting upset with me, I can tell, because you're like all about your triggers and knowing your triggers and having your triggers. And the, and the deal is, is sometimes things like this, sometimes things in pop culture really are expressing stuff we've, we've always known. Like we've always known that there are certain things that set us off, right? Right? We've always known that there are certain things that provoke feelings and emotions and mindsets in us. And so over the last several weeks, we've been talking about feelings and emotions and beliefs and thoughts. We've been talking about something that we commonly refer to as things that trigger us or once we're triggered, the roads that we go down mentally or emotionally. We've been talking about thought distortions. The world that we're in is complicated because it's all about like teaching us these things, making sure that we're aware of these things that trigger us and then we can avoid those things that trigger us because heaven forbid that I be put in a situation in which I'm uncomfortable. Heaven forbid that I, I be put in a situation in which my thinking is challenged or my emotions are reflected back to me and our challenge. Heaven forbid that I have to stop to consider, are my emotions really consistent with reality? Well, you guys, you guys love this. Maybe I need to go on some more weeks in this series. We live in a world that seems to put more and more pressure on us than ever to be in touch with our emotions and feelings. And by in touch, it means by allowing our emotions and feelings to control us. But then What's really so crazy to me about it is not only are we to, uh, supposed to let our feelings and emotions control us and dictate what we believe instead of what we believe to control our feelings and emotions, we're also, we're also told that we, it is required of every one of us as citizens of the world to have a cause, right? 
to have, to have something that we get fired up about. Something like if you don't put the banner, you know, whatever the cause of the month or the week is, if you don't put the banner on your social media, are you really even a person? If you didn't put the, 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 the you know, what was it a couple months ago, the last big way, if you didn't put the Ukrainian flag around your, are you really, are you really a good person after all? I mean, if the, if the geopolitical nuances of a, a part of the world that you and I don't live in, if you don't have a clear picture of exactly what is going on there and you can't put the banner on your Facebook profile, then you must be the most terrible human being on the world, right? You have, to, you have to have a cause. You have to stake a claim. You have to stake a position on every highly emotive issue that comes along or you're a terrible human being. Now, you can't read articles about the geopolitical complexity of the situation because you might be triggered by the atrocity. Are you with me? Don't think about it. Just feel and stake a position based on your feeling. That's how stupid, I said stupid, that's how stupid the world is we live in. I'm going to say it again because I want you to make, I want, I want it to be very, very clear. <laughs> this is how stupid the world we live in is. Don't think about it. Stake a position based on how you feel about it and how you feel about it should drive your decision-making, your worldview, and everyone around you. And if people don't feel the same way you feel, then you're automatically entitled to be triggered. How does a world work when everyone has a cause, yet no one has enough agency to do anything about it? Everyone is supposed to emotively be dialed to level 10, but doesn't have enough agency, capacity to actually think through and reason and interrogate their world to determine whether or not their feelings actually align with reality. One agency is the, the capability or, or, or the ability to act on one's capacity to reason. But we're told don't reason or only consider reasoning that agrees with your emotion. Pastor, I don't get it. What are you, what are you saying to us? Do you understand that probably it's fair to say that about 85 to 95% of the internet that you consumed has been created and designed to reinforce what you've already fed it that you think, feel, and like? In other words, most of the news articles that you see appear on your feed are not a reflection of the news that is actually happening. It's a reflection of the algorithm's belief of what news you want to read. Two years ago, if you, if you read an article about Black Lives Matter and you clicked like on it, I guarantee you the algorithm told your social media feed to keep feeding you articles that support the Black Lives Matter movement. 
If you didn't like the article, if you clicked off of it, if you zoomed past it when it was on other people's feed, the algorithm told it you don't support Black Lives Matter. And so it would feed you news media articles that disprove Black Lives Matter. Why would it do that? Because the whole system is designed to sell you something. The whole system is designed to keep your eyes on the news feed so that it continues to advertise to you. Nothing is free. Everyone say it with me now. Nothing is free. Instagram is not free. Somebody's paying for all of that. Who's paying for it? Not you. Who's paying for it? The advertisers are. Facebook is not free. Who's paying for it? The advertisers are. How do they know who to advertise to and what to advertise? Based on what you've clicked, on what you've liked, and how long your eyes have stayed on a certain screen. Who pays for all of this news media? We don't pay for subscriptions to newspapers anymore. Who pays for it? Who pays for those articles to be written? Well, besides the AI that I mentioned last week that's writing much of the garbage news that's out there, who's paying for that news? Advertisers are. So one piece of information can be written to support a certain perspective and then fed to people who've liked that perspective, who have a bent toward that perspective, who won't be triggered by that perspective, but whose emotions will be reinforced by that perspective. And then the same piece of information is twisted another way to support another set of emotions that'll keep people's eyeballs on it, that'll keep people looking at the advertisers. Do you not understand that the whole world is wired right now to provoke feeling and not to provoke a healthy mind. I would tell you, I believe our world is wired in such a way to reinforce our distortion, not to bring clarity. Because you and I are a commodity, we are a product, we are set up to be triggered constantly so that we will stay at a certain place so that we will stay on a certain screen so that we will continue to watch and can continue to be sold things in this series we talked about some different thought distortions uh i'll just very quickly go through them mind reading shoulds all or nothing thinking labeling filtering unfavorable comparison catastrophizing personalizing blaming making feelings fact they're all thought distortions and at one time or another if you're like me over the last uh over the last six weeks that we've been going through this series the holy spirit has said hey randy can you see that's a distortion over and over and over again it has happened to me it's hard to admit, but these are all too common in many of our lives. A thought distortion is an exaggerated pattern of thinking that is not based on facts and consequently usually leads you to view things more negatively than they really are. I'm praying that the Lord will help us 
and what we've learned together over the last several weeks to be people who are not living in the distortion, to be people who are not being triggered and are now allowing ourselves to simply be commodities that are consistently being triggered, that are consistently be dialed to level 10 so that we will act in a predictable way so that we can be sold more stuff. So that we will behave in the way that the system has designed us to behave because the greatest client is a predictable client. Many of us lose the battle in our mind because we fail to recognize the spiritual component of a very real physical battle. This is where we ended last week. It's not just biology, although we've talked a lot about biology and neuroscience in this series. It's not just biology. It's not just about neural pathways. There is a spiritual reality to what goes on around us. We try to rely on our own willpower to overcome distorted thoughts, and it just doesn't work. It's a spiritual battle to think, feel, and believe the truth. Remember I said that last week, it is a spiritual battle to think, feel, and believe the truth. We dove into Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8 last week. And, and the reason I talked about it being so hard is because Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8 are this just huge, huge theological area uh, or this area where Paul is unpacking this massive, uh, this massive theological truth about how you and I really, really are transformed and how we are saved. And as we tried to talk about that last week, I, I said Paul is, is trying to teach these people that although the law, although the law seemed to make sense because the law was a set of rules, it was a set of parameters whereby you could modify your behavior to get to righteousness, although that seemed to make sense that the law in and of itself led to condemnation because the law was only, only a partial truth. Many of us struggle with distortion because we live a life of relying on partial truths. A partial truth never leads to peace, and that's what thought distortions do. Thought distortions takes a piece of reality or a piece of the truth, and it takes us down a road where biologically or neurologically it reinforces over and over and over again that piece of the truth that supports the lie that it's trying to convince us to believe, which is exactly the way our world is working. It takes a part of the truth and then it commodifies us as customers and continues to feed us bits and pieces of information that resemble the truth a little bit, but leads us down the rabbit hole and keeps us there as long as it can so that our eyeballs will see the advertising so that ultimately someone will pay for our attention so they can sell us something. The people that Paul were writing to had extrapolated from their bits and pieces of the law that they had that, that if, we, if we keep these rules and if we keep these rituals, if we behave in these right ways, then ultimately, ultimately we will be right. We will be righteous. And 
The real complexity of the book of Romans is to try to turn that upside down and say it's not through right behavior that you become righteous people, but it is because righteousness has been given to you as a gift through Jesus Christ that your soul becomes right, that leads to right thinking, that leads to right behavior. But as human beings, we like it the other way around. We like to earn it, right? We like to do it. We like to earn our salvation. We like to earn our way in the world. Last week, I I spent a lot of time trying to explain all of that. And admittedly, thought distortions were simply a portion of what Paul began to uncover as he was teaching this broader theological truth that rescue comes Through Jesus Christ alone, not through the law, not through right behavior, but it comes through the righteous work of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then as you move into Romans chapter 8, he's pulling us into this idea of when distortion is cleared, what it's going to look like in our lives is that ultimately we will come to reflect the right behavior of Christ, which was completely selfless. I want, you to, I want you to write this down. It is, a, it is a detector, if you will, for what is a thought distortion and what is truth. What is from the enemy? What is from God? Romans 7 and 8 teaches us this because it's where Romans 8 ends up. Everything about a thought distortion always causes it to come back to you. It makes everything about you. That's where I started this series six weeks ago. A thought distortion makes everything about you. Truth, truth in Christ makes everything about others. Thought distortion always hyper fixates everything on you, your thoughts, your desires, your needs, your wants, your fleshly satisfaction. Thought clarity or truth that comes through relationship with God that is provided as a work of grace by Jesus Christ will always move you to selflessness, not selfishness. Thought distortion always ends at selfishness. Thought clarity always ends at selflessness. So ask yourself the question, If I continue down this road of thinking, feeling, believing, is it leading me to selfishness or is it leading me to selflessness? That's what Romans chapter 7, 8 is telling us. Romans chapter 8, I'm going to, we stopped, I think I read 5 and 6, verse 5 and 6 last week. Let's pick up in verses 14 through 17. It says this, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So Paul has made this shift, right? He's moved them away from people who are living according to their distorted flesh. And he's saying the way that, the way that you do this is not through, through the, a battle of the flesh, through the law, but instead you do it because the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. So those of you who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So how do I know who are children of God? They're led by the Spirit of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you will live in fear again. Everyone say fear. I wasn't everyone. I really do want to hear everyone say fear. 
there's anything that we've known in the last couple of years, if there's anything that's been beaten into us in the last couple of years, if there's anything that we have all been convinced that we must live by, that we must be triggered by, it is COVID is ending, now it's monkeypox. We laugh, but are you not starting to get a little bit suspicious? Are you not starting to think, hey, why is it that I'm always supposed to be at level 10 afraid of something? Is there anybody besides me? that thinks every time I open my computer, every time I read anything on the internet, it is always pumping into my brain that there's this great big thing out there that's about to kill me. Am I the only one? Is it really supposed to be that way? Are you saying COVID isn't real? No, I'm not saying, I had it twice, it's real. I'm not saying it's not real, don't get mad at me. I'm, ju I'm just asking you a question for a minute. Will you consider for a minute that maybe, just maybe, we're not all supposed to be afraid all the time? If you go back and you listen to this series, you're going to hear what we've been talking about. The interesting thing about thought distortions is that thought distortions always keep us in a place that we are under threat. That we are afraid we are insecure the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again rather the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry abba father the spirit himself testifies with our spirit oh oh there's this cooperation going on. There's my spirit, and there is the spirit, and inside, there's this thing going on. There's this internal dialogue. See, some of us got to check that internal dialogue. That's what this whole series has been about. What are you listening to? What are you turning the volume up on? What is your internal dialogue? Is your internal dialogue always feeding your insecurity, your fear, your brokenness, feeling at threat, feeling like, oh my goodness, I'm at level 10 all the time? Or is your internal dialogue saying something different? Is your entire internal dialogue saying, get this, wait a minute, I know I'm gonna upset some of you, but is it possible that your internal dialogue could say, you know what, you might get COVID and you might die, but this life isn't it. That what I grew up in church learning was that the last breath in this life leads to the next breath in the life to come. I don't know. That's what I grew up believing. That's what I grew up being taught. I, gr I grew up being taught that do not fear man who can harm your body, but fear God who can not only harm your body, but can... What if there's another political insurrection? What if, I, what if something happened? What is your internal voice? What is your internal dialogue? 
The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. Paul already in his preceding verses have have talked about uh, the fact that in, in chapter 7 and the earlier part of chapter 8, he's already made, it, made us to understand that that clarity and that freedom comes in our life based on that thing which we submit to, that thing that we give authority to, that thing in which we feel threatened by or that we consider actually has control in our life. If we submit to the law of Moses, which some of those people there were trying to submit to, then ultimately the law becomes our master. Other people from other religions were we becoming a part of the church at Rome. And that's why when Paul talks about the law here, he's not specifically only talking about the law of Moses. He's talking about what he calls the law of sin and death. In other words, any law, any set of rules that says through your performance, you create right thinking or right behavior and righteousness. He says, on the other hand, it doesn't matter what religion you're coming from. It doesn't matter if you're coming from Judaism. It doesn't matter if you're coming from some tribal religion. It doesn't matter what religion, any worldview, any religion that says you get to peace through performance is wrong. And what was happening was in the church, the people who were becoming a part of the church in Rome, they were importing their religions from their worldview. They were importing their religions from their worldview and were saying they were adding to Christianity that if you perform the right way, if you behave the right way, then you're going to have peace. Can somebody help me? If you perform the right way, then you're going to have peace. On the other hand, Paul is saying, listen, it's not about how you perform. It's about the fact that you have peace through the work of Christ. And because you have peace through the work of Christ, it starts to change the way you think. And when it changes the way you think, you change what gives you what has power over you. Slavery is a very real thing in their world. And yet Paul uses it as an understanding, as something for they, that they could understand to say, you know what, you're not a slave. Please, please get this. He was writing to people, some of whom were actually slaves. Do you, do you get it? I know some of us feel like slaves to our nine to five, but there were people that he were writing to who were actually slaves. A part of the massive controversy of the church, and I know this is going to trigger you some, some of you. In the early church, there were people sitting there together, slaves and masters, trying to figure out how do we be the body of Christ together. Oh no, that didn't happen. It absolutely happened. Read your Bible. There is in fact a whole book in the New Testament about a slave and a master and their relationship. Oh, our, our geopolitical world is just so much more complicated than it was then. Nonsense. He was writing to actual slaves, and he was saying to them, you know what, because of the work of Christ, you're free. Stop being triggered by your slavery. 
stop being triggered by your, your actual status in life. He's saying in spite of your actual status, you're really free. You may not be free in your physical existence in this earth, but you are free in your mind and in your soul because of who you are. Desert and I have um, four kids. Some of them are not kids anymore. I guess none of them are really kids. But I've learned a lot through parenting. One of the things I've learned is so much of what we accept in our life as just the way that it is really is learned behavior. Do you know that thought distortions are actually learned behavior? A child doesn't come out of the womb with a thought distortion. It's created. A child isn't born a slave. No child comes out of the womb and knows it's a slave. The only thing a child is known is the safety and the security of the womb. All a child has ever known when it is born is provision. It's never known anything less than provision. In the wound, provision is automatic. It's never known anything outside of comfort, safety, and security. Because in the womb, comfort, safety, and security are automatic. It is only after it exits the womb does it begin to learn about threat and about danger. It is only after it exits the womb does it know about cold and discomfort. And of course, us humans, we think we know better. We sterilize the birthing process and immediately remove the baby from its mother and take it into a separate room and poke and prod and Start to teach it all this stuff. You ever, you ever think about that? We immediately cut that umbilical cord and take the baby in the other room and wipe it down and sanitize it. We really love sanitizer. We know so much better than biology. Start poking it, all these extra stuff. There's all this years and years and years of human existence and life, but we know better, right? Because we got to add this. You ever think about this stuff? A baby never knew that in its mother's womb. It was never poked. It was never prod. What it needed, it received. Biologically, a baby is ready to nurse at its mother's breast immediately when it's born, but we disturb that whole process. And then, then, you know, we, we know better, so we got this powder over here that we can throw into some of our sterilized water, and that's better than... Man, your pastor's radical, isn't he? I'm just... Is it, is it possible that there are things that are learned that are not the way they were created and intended? Is it, is it possible that that we begin to create distortions 
that we ourselves participate in distortions that have nothing to do with the way God created us and designed us. Children don't come out knowing they're slaves. They don't come out knowing fear. They don't come out knowing dishonesty. They don't come out knowing distrust. It's when we rip them out of their mother's womb and we take them into another room, people and voices they've never heard before, and we start to teach them this stuff. And then when they're just old enough to walk, we shove them out the door to, boy, you're hearing a lot of my heart right now. I'm ju- I just want to ask you this morning, could you possibly allow the Holy Spirit to go deeper than the slogans and the bumper stickers of Christianity and begin to search below the surface just a little bit and ask yourself the question, is it possible that some of this law has been learned and it's not leading to life in my relationship with God, but instead it's leading to death? Because it's what human beings have added to the revelation of God's word to cause them to be able to calculate and control and explain what really was always meant to be a mystery. The Holy Spirit, what Paul is teaching us in Romans chapter 8, is that the Holy Spirit adopts us into the family of God. And here's what he does. The Holy Spirit establishes new automatic thoughts in the lives of those who follow Christ. Paul says these things have come automatic to you. You followed the law, you followed the rules, and for some of them it was Jewish people following the laws. For some of them it was other religions that were in their area, and they had followed the performance process. And it was automatic, it was automatic thinking, it was automatic If I do this, then you do this. If I do this, then God's going to do this. Every relationship was transactional. Our world still teaches us that. We don't even know. We don't even know how to love. We believe love is a transaction. Human love has been reduced to sex, and sex is a transaction. We don't even know we don't even know how to have a loving relationship that isn't based on transaction. You start trying to explain to people love, real love, biblical love and it's like a blank look comes over their face. All relationship with God, much less with ourselves is reduced to a transaction. We're taught to transact with ourselves to control ourselves. Well, I'm going to diet all week long, and then I'm going to have, I get to have a cheat day on Saturday. Rather than loving my body and recognizing that discipline gives me long life and health, I've got to make a contract with myself to transact with myself, and then I hashtag (laughs) self-love on Saturday when I get my little cake or whatever. And then I post it, and then it's fed into your algorithm because you're hashtagging self-love also, which then links to this new protein bar that we're both suckered into buying because that's what real self-love is. Guys, 
That's the network of distortion that we live in. Where everything is a transaction and every relationship is a transaction. And every moment that we put scrolling on the internet is a transaction. And then we reduce our relationship to our, with our children to a transaction. Well, little Tommy, if you get the right grade, then daddy will approve of you. If you score the right score on your test, then I'll take you out for ice cream. Never mind you have dyslexia. Never mind that whole educational system was built to cater to girls and not to boys. So you're never going to be able to sit at a desk eight hours a day and perform like little Sally would. Because the entire educational system was built for her and not you. If you make the right score, then daddy will approve of you and you'll get ice cream. So my love relationship with my father is reduced to a transaction that creates a distortion inside of me. Folks, we've been going deep for six weeks. And I really hope you're allowing the Holy Spirit to dig deeper and deeper. Because there are implications to everything that we're talking about. There are thought distortions that are shaping our theology. Because now what I know about my father is that my father gives me ice cream if I perform well in a system that isn't designed for me. And then I go to church and I have to sit there for two hours and I have to watch this dude yell at me and I have no idea what he's talking about. But I know that they take up this money halfway through the service and so if I give that, then maybe I get the Xbox that I want. So my entire theology is distorted based on a performance relationship with a father that I know I can never make happy because after all, one day I'm going to grow up and everybody's going to tell me I have daddy issues and so I'll hire my therapist and I'll figure out that I can't be fixed. So going back to week two, just give me the medication so that I can be numbed and I don't have to have sober thoughts. How do I know if this automatic thinking, what's been ingrained in me, is from the spirit or from my flesh? We talked about it last week. Does it produce peace? Secondly, what we learn from Romans chapter 8 today is does it produce assurance in a power that is outside of me? Does it produce assurance, strength of my identity, or does it reinforce performance anxiety? Does it trigger the guilt, shame, fear? All of these learned behaviors that would have never known in my mother's womb. Romans chapter 8, I'm going to read verses 31 through 39 and then I'm going to quickly finish up. It says this, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, 
but gave him up for all of us. Remember, Paul had just said, listen, this whole process of being spirit-led leads ultimately to a place in which, in which you are going to join him in his suffering. What do we say about all of these things? Well, what we say is this God, this maniacal God who would send his own son to die he didn't spare us some, but he gave them up. Why? For us. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Wow, what, what a generosity. We don't know that generosity because every relationship we have is transactional. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. You can gaslight me all day long. You can cancel me. Who can condemn me? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us, this brother that we have, this partnership that exists internally with the spirit inside of us, but externally as, as God himself negotiates with himself on my behalf. Do you get that? How much the creator of the universe is for you? Not for how you perform, but for you? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or pandemic or social unrest or financial meltdown? Anybody here this morning? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. Not death on the internet, not getting canceled, real actual death these people were facing. We are considered as sheep to the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The law may rip you out of your mother's womb and take you into a sanitized environment and poke you and prod you and add all this stuff to you and then tell you your whole life that you'll never measure up and that the nourishment that you need and the safety and the security that biology paints the picture of what has been provided for you your whole life and your whole existence may hold that just out of reach. But God, on the other hand, the one who designed and created that beautiful process that moves you, that moves you through the chaos of birth and through the chaos of things that happen that are beyond your control, but constantly, Scripture even describes him as pulling you. I know some of you, your, your theology just can't do it. But there is the feminine aspect of God that is, that is demonstrated in Scripture that pulls you to, a, to the mother's breast 
and that nurtures you and feeds you and creates comfort for you and care for you that is outside of yourself. That's the picture of God, undistorted by culture and society and stuff. That's God who reaches past time and space and even over our sin and brokenness and says, I'm here and I call you mine. I call you mine. And calling you mine supersedes everything that is outside of you because everything that is outside of you has no power over you. And what Romans 7 and 8 is telling us is the only things that have power over us are the things that we're willing to surrender to. If you're a slave to your fear, to your brokenness, to your anxiety, to your insecurity, it's because you're willing to surrender to it. He was talking to people who were actually physically slaves, who were actually physically being chased, burned upside down on crosses. And he said, in your mind, you're really free. You can be free. You are free if you choose. As Father, we thank you so much that here at North Place, we have a global vision that it's not just about us, that we literally are about the kingdom and about others. And we demonstrate that through activities like yesterday where we served, um, we served kids here in our own building through our RFK program. We, we demonstrate that through our, our giving in, in missions around the world, but we also demonstrate it through our support of brothers and sisters in other parts of the city. We are for this city, Jesus. It's not about us. So we pray for that church that is being planted this morning. Lord, may your presence be there. May they be people who come to know you, who see you, who experience you for the first time. Lord, I just pray that you do an incredible work in that place today. Bless them in Jesus' name. Lord, I bless this people. I thank you for North Place. I thank you for every person that you brought here today. May we have incredible weeks as we go forward and we live in the clarity of truth. Holy Spirit, challenge every distortion in our life this week. Don't let it cloud our vision, but may we see clearly in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord.